Welcome to Seize the GM. I'm your host, Zended. I am your co-host, Jules. And I'm Garda Moje. Have you ever had a great idea for a campaign? Do you have a group of friends who want to play an RPG, but you have no one to run it? Do you want to see what the world is like behind the GM screen instead of in front of it? Well, we're here to help you do just that. Each week, the three of us will be discussing various GMing topics, terminology, maps, atmosphere, world building, you name it. So sit back and relax. Let us help you. Improve your art of GMing. One show at a time. Banter, banter, banter. And we are entering the banter segment. Welcome back to another episode of CCGM. Oh my goodness, folks. It has been a crazy, crazy time. So what are you all up to? Because we got everybody this time. It's rare, but yes, we actually have the entire main cast. It is fantastic. I have been busy and working and writing a lot and uh, just kind of waiting to hear what Noel is up to. I'm alive? Wait, I'm alive? Yay! I wasn't sure about that, but okay, I'm glad for the confirmation. <laughs> well, you're speaking, so... Hey, poke, poke. Make sure you're hey. still corporeal. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Uh, no, I've been doing all right. Uh, I'm stuck in limbo land with writing, but, you know, the usual. Yeah. It happens, I hear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't remind me. Yeah. <laughs> The horrible bits of limbo. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see. I finished painting Sir Hissy Face. I know. I saw the pictures. I should. What do you think? I like it. I should post the pictures of uh, mine. Yeah. Remember, that's that's the only like the third mini I've ever done. I know. <laughs> Actually, I think I think my wife painted ours. I mean, he's got like, uh, he's got some kind of pattern on his back and his head and stuff. So, yeah, she goes, um, she's amazing when it comes to painting minis. So, what you're saying is, listeners, if you listen to this episode, and Zen's and Jules' minis are not posted on our social media pages, you have permission to yell at us. You, do. Uh, I already put mine up on inst- on my Instagram and my Facebook. Um, I'll be happy to share them on the CCGM website. If any of you give a damn, but tell us if you do give a damn. Otherwise, I don't want to waste space on our... Um, oh, no. We'll just put them on the uh, the Facebook group. I'm happy if you want to do that. Yeah. yeah it was we'll fun. To do that. Well, and this is a chance to remind everyone. <laughs> just, just remind everyone. <laughs> find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, because we have an Instagram where we try to post things and try to make announcements about blog posts. We have a Twitter account that Zen mans, and we've got the Facebook page and the Facebook group where you can interact with all of your fellow Seize the GMers. Yes, actually, and as a matter of fact, we had a, a like, a mo- it's been a month now because I'm a horrible human being, but... True. We still forget you. We have... 
um, there's been a new person that joined the Facebook group and has been super active. And it's uh, Dev Winters. So a, a shout out to him. So you are awesome. He has. Uh, and then we also got another person like just a day or so ago. Uh, let me see if I can find them really, really fast. Because, um, yeah. And of course, it's you guys cool continue talking friends. because. <laughs> yeah, it's, so, it's, it's always cool to, to find you guys on our, you know, because everyone has their own kind of story to tell in the world of GMing. And the more people that talk about it and we can get someone else interested and it grows even more. And, you know, that means it's like you don't you don't have to GM all the time and you can get somebody actually excited about something. Which is really kind of cool if you think about it. Okay, another person that joined like three weeks ago was Jude Riley. We had like a bunch of people. Ah, Sean Thill was our latest. He joined on Saturday. <laughs> like nice. just under a week. Like we've had quite a few people join in the last couple of uh, weeks and it's been awesome. Welcome, Welcome to all the of family. you. Yes, we're happy to have you. And the good news is you joined just in time to be part of our dodgeball team. Now line up on the wall. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you all could tell. Yeah. Oh, um, quick little bit of, of business. Um, I don't know who all goes through our Patreon stuff, aside from Eric DeMage. But Eric, we love you. Our page got flagged as providing adult content what the hell yeah it well they said it happens from time to time though because they they go through so many pages and it accidentally got hit and i had it cleared up as of 2 a.m this morning which would be late january so it yeah. should all be resolved by the time you hear this yes um, it should but also, the other thing is, is that I'm, I've been saying that I want to do uh, something different with the Patreon, and I think I'm going to switch to a monthly, and I'm going to try to have that go active on February 1st. When are we planning to release this episode? Uh, after there. Two days, yeah, like a week after. So by the time you're hearing this, we've gone to a monthly Patreon, and because we've got consistent episodes of us talking coming out, and we've got the AP, we just want to make sure that we give you the best value. And we're going to work on ensuring that we add some extra Patreon content for patrons. So if you would like to become a member of our Patreon, toss us a few coins, let us know. And let us know what you'd like to see in the rewards tiers, because that's something we can still work with. We, yeah, uh, don't have that set in stone quite yet. Well, I've did... already volunteered my services to run a Little Fears one shot to scare the ever loving piss out of y'all. So, <laughs> oh jeez, I'm on board of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we've got some we've got some ideas for things we want to do, but I also wanted to just say, you know, thanks to everybody that's even considered giving us anything, and if uh, if you have the ability to, then. Hey, I won't say no. Let's just put it this way. Web hosting ain't free. It's true. But 
so yeah, but and enough of the um, bromancing enough. here, and let's talk about our main topic, which would be you your so attempt much. to segue to romance. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you all so much. I had nothing involved with that. Well, I know. no, no, I, I can't hate you. You're you're too like totally adorbs. And you have kitties. I can't hate anyone with kitties. Uh, so, kitties. okay. So our main topic this time is romance at your table. Now, this is going to cover a couple of different facets, but we thought with Valentine's Day coming up and it being one of those wonderful kind of social and cultural reminders of romance and love and interpersonal relationships, that we'd take the opportunity to kind of talk about what to be aware of or think about if romance is budding in your game. Yeah, because in in a way, romance can kind of be like that third rail <laughs> Yep. In a game, it can mm -hmm. be awesome, or it can destroy your game. Destroy your game, and that's that's a couple of things that really need to be kept in mind. Yeah, and FYI, guys, this is not going to be completely comprehensive. Neither are we therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists, or any of the like. We are just a bunch of geeks that have had various successes and failures with romance, both in and out of game. So, you know, we, we are not one of those super awesome sociological people. We're, we're just a bunch of geeks. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, we're not super experts, but, um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. None of, none of us are professionals in any capacity other than we are, you know, just humans that also run games. So keep that in mind as with everything that we say in regards to this. So always got to do that disclaimer because, well, yeah, because we're, we're not going to, I, we don't, we're us, you know us. <laughs> okay. Yeah. First thing, most important thing, more so than in other things of GMing for romance is consent, consent, consent. And this is related to kind of similar to something we discussed when we talked about horror, but you need to absolutely make sure your players know what is or isn't possible in the game and where their comfort levels are. And even more importantly, where they are not comfortable. Yes. We are talking about delicate, you know, emotional things and, Players do often get very invested in their characters. They do get very invested in the storylines. So understanding the limitations about what they are comfortable with is pivotal. Pivotal well, is pivotal in terms of making sure this type of experience at your table adds value, isn't a place of discomfort, and doesn't break your table. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the thing is, yeah. like, here's the one thing that everyone, when the idea of romance and games come up. It always doesn't have to be between your players or um, like an NPC and the players, but the idea of romance and love within your game, it has to also be honest. You can't kind of force it, but it also doesn't have to be the focal point. Uh, two star-crossed lovers in your, you know, Romeo and Juliet kind of thing, and your adventuring team comes, and uh, do they escort them back? Do they? Do you send them home? What do you do? You know, there, it's more than just 
you know, I love, you know, having somebody spout heartfelt poetry at your at your character. So right. the other thing is you do have to and this is what makes things fun is that, you know, romance, it's it's an integral part of like the human experience in a way. Um, well, generally, I am speaking generically. I know not everyone. Some people are aromantic. But the thing is, if you're pl- if. It kind of does feel like, you know, romance would be part of it, but your PCs ain't fine with it. Throw in an NPC couple that you can have whatever you're trying to think manifest without forcing it. So. Yeah, yeah there is there is something in, in all of that that you have to, because the concept of consent in all of this is that just because somebody gives you consent doesn't mean they can't, if you push too hard against something, revoke that consent as well. Oh, yeah. So while all of this is going on, that's another thing to keep in mind is make sure that they're still comfortable with what's happening. Mm-hmm. Whether it's between – because you can have two players or you can have – a player in an NPC, or you can just have two NPCs. I mean, it's... We don't necessarily recommend the two NPCs as a regular component, just because when you start talking to yourself for that long, (laughs) your players may actually leave to get the pizza instead of having the pizza ordered. Yeah. Well, and and (laughs) that, that is something that if you're going to do, like, two NPCs... A way to do that is you don't ha- you have them be like there's gestures made. You don't have like long in-depth conversations with yourself. No. And another thing you can do if you do want to have a little bit of, you know, some of that uh, you know, just uh, wonderful dialogue, have them you know, have them come across like have your party come across a love note. You know, and it, it's like, wow, the prose sounds familiar. And you go find it. It's written by this old man who lived on top of a hill, who lost his who lost his beloved and, you know, kept writing every day and throw and uh, throwing the papers into the wind or something like that. Yeah. You know, um, and here's here's the thing. It always doesn't have to be. Um, I, I'm going to use a video game kind of thing, but I don't know if any of you guys ever played Ico. But no. when you're kind of doing like escort missions, stuff like that, there, there wasn't a lot of dialogue. But you, there's, you know, holding, holding the hand. You know, it doesn't have to be graphic. It doesn't have to be explicit. Sometimes it could just be sweet. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. all flavors. And here's the thing. You know, that's that's what makes role playing games so freaking awesome. Is you can you can have kind of that. That that sweetness, or you could have, and here's the thing: romance doesn't always have to be happy. Sometimes you can actually have it be extremely despair-inducing, and seeing, you know, how your how your players handle that. And like what Gardemanger said, make sure everybody's cool with it. And this is important when we deal with the character versus the player, because we all know this is a role-playing game. We all know that the character is not the player, but 
you can't expect all of the players to have a perfect suspension of disbelief. You can't expect all players to be able to completely compartmentalize the actions of the character from the player. And that's where that communication we already talked about comes into play. Because a player could be pushing things too far. Mm-hmm. And that is something that you have to be ready to kind of take a pause on, to call out, seriously revisit some of our horror notes from uh, last October, where we talked specifically about ways to kind of take pauses at the table if things get beyond a comfort zone for the players. Yeah. Yeah, you really want to be able to to take those breaks because it, romance-like horror is is intimate. one of those it, it, it's very intimate yeah it's also uh the the emotions run much higher with those in particular i mean they're different emotions but they're still highly emotional elements so mm-hmm. if they ever get pushed too far then you definitely want to be able to be reasonable and take those breaks. Let people come back down to where things are more comfortable for everybody else at the table because you may have somebody in your group who is a romantic and they're just like, I don't, this is just completely uncomfortable for me. I don't get it. Yeah, and the thing is that Every player, it's like, it doesn't matter exactly what you're playing. Whatever kind of character you come up with, it, it, there's a little bit of yourself. Even yeah. if it, you're playing the exact same kind of opposite personality type, that character came from your head. How you play them comes from your head. You know, the reactions. It's all, it's not like a, a series of um, a computer algorithms that determine what you do. You're still making a choice. So there is a little bit of, personal investment even so the excuse oh come on it's just a game ain't gonna fly yeah that is definitely one where yeah you can't just be like it's a game get over it because again you're dealing with highly emotional parts of the human experience human experience yeah that's exactly what i was gonna say and and you can't just berate and belittle those because you want to do something at the table that affects everybody else sitting there. Mm-hmm. And and that is an important thing to keep in mind because again, it it can this is why it, this is one of those points where it can break your table. And that's what we're trying to help you not do in this regard is you don't want to have that table broken because either you or one of the other players is pushing too hard. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, if someone's being inappropriate and just using it under the guise of romance or something like that, and they're making the deal, call them out. And if they, so well, that's my character. It's like, okay, cool. Rocks fall. Your character's dead. Roll up a new one. Yeah. No, it, it like, honest to God is like, there's, there's nothing – it's like that's the kind of crap that can actually drive other people away from your game and sometimes ruin the experience of gaming altogether. 
Like we want, we want to to kind of. It's like we're we're evangelicals. We want to bring the the art of GMing and gaming to the masses, you know. So if you know if a if a person is being a little pushy or is being, it, it doesn't seem like it, it's, it's being just inappropriate. I wouldn't even say also inappropriate because they could be doing something, you know, complete. And I don't want to say in character, but they could do something that for one type of person is fine. But, you know, say I never I never um, in any of the games, I never my character, anything I play will never, ever get romantically involved with anybody else. And and that's because I don't feel comfortable with it. Right. But the other thing is also in tying into romance in games is also, uh, and I had this happen in, when I used to play Werewolf, you know, with that one, it's just like, okay, now you have to have kids. I'm, and I look at them and I raise my eye. I'm like, no, you're kidding me. Mm-hmm. Nope. Nope. So, you know, don't force that kind of crap on your players either. If they don't want to, don't. And if there's ways where, you know, that's kind of where the plot is going, uh, you can fade to black and just say, boom, and it's kind of never really heard from again. There's there's ways, it, it, let's just put it this way, it's like, well, that's how my story goes. Don't pull that crap. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of one of those uh, where you want to be kind of close to the, the idea of so being able to role play intimacy and a pursuit of romantic involvement is fantastic and it can lead to really interesting character realizations you your character may not realize what is important to them until they are in a romantic relationship they may not have an understanding of what they lost when they lost their parents until they interact with a couple that is in the midst of romance. And that can be valuable. And it can be interesting to have characters who are involved with each other and how they interact relative to the rest of the group, if the group's good with that. Yes. But it's not something that you should go in expecting your players to be able to do or to want to do. And unless you're playing a very specific kind of game, it's probably not the immediate focus. Now, if you read the recent uh, Castle Falkenstein card catalogs that went up, which you should because Falkenstein's awesome, and that's a whole nother, like hour conversation I could get into, you notice that those characters each come with a romantic goal, and at least one of them had a goal of just not being involved. That's a valid answer. Yeah, it is. Because, and... One of the things that you need to also keep in mind when you're doing this is it's kind of one of our last points here, and that is romance does not equal sex. Bingo! (laughs) Like, it doesn't. It is an element. One of them is an element of the other, but not always. And it doesn't just divulge into, I want to have a romantic interest, therefore I'm going to have sex for my character. That's 
that's something it's annoying else. Annoying and obnoxious. Yeah, and because the two are not the same, you have to if they if the people at your table are not and I'm going to say this and it's not meant in a derogatory way, but if they're not mature enough to understand the difference between the two, maybe romance at your table is not an appropriate thing at this time. Mm-hmm. And let me put bring up something else. There, uh, Zippy is right now in a pirate game, and he's pretty much he's he's the man whore. <laughs> but he never. The thing is, though, it, it's he's a con man, magician person, so he'll do, he'll you know without getting into extreme explicits, he is able to put the fact that he is a man hoe, but without. One uh, disrespecting any of the other players or the plot or even in character, he's not a um, he's not disrespectful. Uh, his character is not disrespectful of the women that he sleeps with. Yeah, which is which, uh, you know, and here's the other thing. If you also are in a romantic relationship out of character, there is one nothing wrong with actually being in a romantic relationship with your partner in the game. Zippy and I had a role where we didn't do that at all. We never even, you know, at LARPs or anything else, we our characters almost never interacted. And uh, fate and circumstance at one time threw us together in a game, and we got to plot together, and we're like, oh, this is much more fun. <laughs> so, one, that's okay. You can do that. It's it, There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, some GMs say, well, I don't, I don't deal with boyfriend, girlfriends, because what if they split up? And I'm like, oh... That's another can of worms, but you, it's well, something you might have to address. That all comes down to the maturity of your players and what they're comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. again, one of the uh, one of our, our staples that we always say, talk to your players. Mm-hmm. Before you even bring this into a game, sit everybody down virtually at the table and kind of hash out where people's comfort levels are. You do this when you're talking about things like horror. This is just as important to where you, if, if you've got, cause there are certain games that are built around this. And I want to say, Oh, there's a true 20, Derivative, and I think it's called Blue. Oh man, now now I'm thinking about this. Oh, you're not going to be able to stop, too. I know, <laughs> and I think it's Green Ronin. I know Apocalypse World deals a little bit with romance with some of their characters. Mm-hmm. Blue Rose. It's. It is romantic fantasy. Like, that is what they geared it as. And it's a D20 derivative. And, yeah, it's been around for a while. But if you are interested in it, and and that is the type of games you like, that might be a really good option for you, is to try to find a copy of, of that Blue Rose book. Uh, that's the only one that I know of that's like totally geared towards like I think as part of your character like build you even 
are setting up like your romance uh, aspects and elements in your character. So neat. Looks like they had a new edition come out two years ago. Might need to check that out. <laughs> so yeah. So man, then, dude, I can't keep spending my money. <laughs> it is available on Drive Through RPG. So check it out if that's something you're interested in. And remember that romance will add a great texture to any of the other games that you do run, especially if you've got things like a high school game. Teen romance is a staple from yeah. Romeo and Juliet all the way through to, uh, well, pick any CW show that was airing in the mid 2000s. Oh, <laughs> God, don't remind me. I went straight to Buffy. Uh, yeah. Buffy is, yeah. Uh, and that's just part and parcel of the experience, especially for high school and teenagers. And so consider that. Let us know what your favorite use of romance in a game has been, or if you want to share a horror story of romance gone horribly awry at the table. Join us and on the Facebook group. Actually, and here's here's I'll tell you something. Romance also can it's not exclusive to any one genre either. I don't know if any of you saw the. Um, uh, the Castlevania animated series on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Romance was a big, big part of that, as bloody so, and as gory as it was. But it was a lot of the driving focus. But they didn't spend a bajillion and one years, you know, kind of building it up. But it was well done, tasteful, and believable. That's yeah. one of the other things is you can't. All your 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 perfect idealistic romantic aspirations, they're not always going to work. And here's the thing: it's like also there's the ability of what there's there's actually a lot of character exploration you can do when you're turned down or rejected. You know, so that yeah. is also something you can play with. Like, I, but as always, you know, you got to check with your players, make sure everybody's cool. But that's something you know you might be able to. You know, because everyone, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get the girl. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to save my prince. Da, 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 da. What if they don't like you? Yeah. Or what if they're not that sexuality? There's a lot and it's, there's a, a lot of ability for character introspection. But just as always, check with their players and handle it respect respectfully. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to call this one wrapped for now. And um, if if anybody wants to talk, yeah, totally hit us up on the Facebook group uh, and we will be more than happy to chat about it. So let's go ahead and roll on into our next thing. And now we enter Stat Blocks. This is a segment where you can use something that we've created in your game tonight. All right, okay. who's next? Not it. I, Not it. Noel, Noel goes first because we haven't heard from him in a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love Noel stuff. Noel, you always come up with some of just the most just spiffy. Best way to describe it. All righty. And <clears throat> um, this week... We have the Sword Eater Glove, apparel that is quick to the cut. It appears as a simple leather and chainmail glove, but adorned to its knuckles are several blades that appear as if they're mouse-sized. But these weapons look worn, scratched, and used. 
It's not until someone wearing the glove wields a sword for the first time that the glove manifests its power. The sword will vanish in the user's hand, suddenly become a small blade on the fingers of the gloves. But the wearer is not defenseless, because now they can deflect any blows thrown at them as if they were wielding a full sword. More, their punches pierce and slash with the damage of the most effective blade adorning the glove. The Sword Eater is a partially intelligent item, selecting whatever weapon it has consumed to use against a foe. It only consumes the weapon it has in hand and not those it will block or parry. Nor can weapons be removed from the glove without destroying the entire glove in the process. Oh, that's fun. Neat. <laughs> Dude. Okay. That's wicked. I love it. Yeah. Fear okay. the assorted glove that's covered with like hundreds and hundreds of blades. So yeah. That's yeah. It's just like terrifying is what that actually is. Exactly. <laughs> that's a Final Fantasy villain. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay, I'll go next. The Electron Ring. This simple and unassuming ring is a masterpiece of modern tech wizardry. Buried in the ring is a complex series of circuits and Wi-Fi-enabled tags. Just a simple knock on the door activates the ring, kicking on the Wi-Fi to connect to the electronic locking mechanisms. The second knock sets off the AI, which in nanoseconds rips through all the code to figure out the first set of alarms attached to the lock and sets to disable them. And with the third set of knocks, it uh, basically works a running of all the combinations for the lock. It can take anywhere from a second to about a minute. The electron ring is a modern tech miracle for the pilferer of goods and people. Yes, you heard me right. Most people don't use it for trafficking in people, but some do. The few that know someone that can make one of these has put them up for sale on the black market right next to cybernetic interface systems. Once you get your hands on one, it can be a massive boon. But but be sure you know what mark is at home or not, because the jail time may not be worth it. <laughs> there it is. Neat. I like that. Wicked. Jules, go. Oh, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I got recycled whimsy. Hi, diddly didn't you know? You fade once you glow, didn't you know, child? After the rhyme, high time, diddly didn't you know? You fade once you glow, didn't you know, child? After the rhyme, high time. We're all forced to grow up. Discard the joys and innocence of our past to make room for the lessons and pains of our future. To forget Mother Goose tales and trade them for heavy allegories and root formulas. But we all remember, don't we? Remember what we wanted the future to be. Full of opportunities and magic and infinite possibilities that have no ties to the real world. But where do our dreams go? And the possible realities we long to manifest. Now it's said there's a vault, guarded by the fair folk. When children cast aside their dreams and grow up, it's a race against time for pixies and brownies. They rush to save the remnants of the dreams before they fade away. And they're not always successful. Yet they still try to save what they can. 
It's a truly heart-wrenching task, but necessary, to keep nihilism and despair from subsuming the world, to keep the idea of a future alive, to sustain the magic of hope. The fair folk learned their lessons well during the Industrial Revolution. The concept of a childhood was nearly destroyed back then. Recycling the make-believe of the past, saving it for a child who may be able to keep it and grow it. Children who, even if they do grow up, still keep a thread, a scrap, a remnant of that magic. And who can pass it on? That's where our storytellers come from. Our comedians, creators of toys and games. Teachers who grow the magic within a child instead of snuffing it out. Giving hope to the hopeless. Saving a child from despair and arming, again, arming them against the creeping dark. And when it is their time, the pixies and brownies will visit them again. And as a gift, the dying get to see what their lives truly were. No glamour, nothing hidden. And as they pass through the veil, the pixies and brownies call them heroes and record their names. For it is said, he who saves one child saves the entire world. Neat. I like that. <laughs> Fun. Otherworldly fun. <laughs> Thank you. All right, take us home, dude. Okay. Alethia's Loop. By all appearances, this hand magnifier is just what it seems. A simple and useful tool that consists of the magnifying lens, its case, and a, a simple way to attach it to one's spectacles. It is most certainly an excellent addition for any craftsman working with the finer details like a jeweler or a geologist. Well, perhaps a bit too delicate or refined in its case to truly be useful that far outside, but do treat it as one would. The secret, or at least perhaps the truth, about this loop is when you look beyond that detail work at hand. It works so well, so easily there, that why would you ever think to have this loop up to your eye when you walk down the street or into an audience? It would be absurd, wouldn't it? For whatever reason, you can't seem to get it to stay affixed or be permanently attached. It must always be a temporary fixture on your head and face. Why would you want it there? Because, like its namesake, it shows the truth. The details it helps magnify and show the wearer extend beyond the simple physical facets of a gem or the precise angle of a blade. Alethea had a loop that showed the precise details of the world. The amount of information at the wearer's fingertips astounds the mind. It's not enough to know that the room of powerful people controls the city. No, you can see which one holds the leverage in the room. It isn't enough to see the clouds are rolling in for the afternoon shower. You can see the currents behind the front pushing it forward. How this fell from Olympus is a question we dare not answer. Be careful, though, because that much truth can reveal more than you intend, and perhaps more than you are ready to comprehend. So good! Nice! Mm. Very, very <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like it. As always, Garmo, is it... Can, can you write something that sucks for once? <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so inadequate. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. No, I, I love it, man. I love it. Uh, all right. Well, I guess we're going to we're going to just keep chugging along and 
flip on over to... Lexicon, where we give you cool words to help improve your vocabulary. Okay. <sighs> Our lovely word of the day. Are we ready for it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Temerity. <laughs> Is it a type of tomato? Yes. <laughs> no. No. But it is a noun. <laughs> no, but it'd be a real cool kind of mm, uh, a tomato with temerity. Now I'm thinking about it. <laughs> a temerity tomato. Well, it, a temerity tomato is what you throw when you realize you shouldn't after the fact. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, bullheadedness, foolhardiness. Uh, it, it's uh, brashness. Yes, it's it's overwhelming ego and stubbornness to the point of dumb. It is an unreasonable or foolhardy contempt of danger or opposition. Rash Most D characters. Yeah, yeah basically. <laughs> yes. And, or as I like to refer to them, crash test dummies. <laughs> you would. Oh yeah. I mean they throw they throw them at a wall regardless of what their actions would do. So yeah, that's actually exactly what. So and our origin and etymology is Middle English from latin and it is the latin is temeritus uh, which is you know blindly or recklessly it's akin to actually uh, three other words one is old high german um demar which is darkness and Latin's uh, tenebrae, and Sanskrit's tamas. Its first known actual use is the 15th century, and its popularity is in the apparently top 30% of words. Hmm. Well, considering everything, it makes sense. Yeah. Well, okay. And in reality, that was what it was a year ago. No, it makes sense. So, yeah. I mean, one yes. great example aside from that, also look at Harry Potter. Yeah. Gryffindor is more or less a house of temerity. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. We're heroes. Does something stupid. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Me, not so much a Gryffindor, but that's okay. Oh, I am. <laughs> uh, and the fact is, it's like, an, uh, I know me, and everyone's just like, Hufflepuff, or something. I'm like, no, it's like, no, I'm Slytherin. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to be evil, but it helps. Hello, my fellow, fellow Slytherin. Hi. <laughs> uh, all of you silly houses. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're going to hit these closing remarks and go ahead and wrap this up.
Zen, what do you have? <sighs> okay, so as as per usual, I'm reading like four books all at the same time. So because that's how I roll. Of course. Um, I have actually been reading a, a a Pathfinder Splat book, and it is Sandpoint, Light of the Lost Coast. It is so in the very first adventure path that they published, you start in this town called Sandpoint. And they did a almost hundred page book on this one town. Nice. And it is it's really, really cool because it's it's a deep dive into a small town. But it's really pivotal for a lot of things that happen in Pathfinder. It has all these really cool like things you can almost literally just pull out and place into any game. Like buildings and things like that. NPCs. This book even has one of the tables that's in it is a list of the level and the page number of the corresponding quests that exist for each of those levels. And it starts at first and it has a bunch of them for that. And then it just continues down to, I think like the highest level one is like eight or 12th level. So you can play for like most of a campaign in this one small town as your base of operations and still have things in town that you can do that are little bits, not like huge story pieces, but like little, like, you know, small little quests that you can do. And you could just rip those right out and place them into almost any game. Neato. So I thought that was really, really cool. And yeah, I'm about maybe a third of the way through the book. It's well done. Like, I really like it. So, and it updated it to the current timeline, not just where it was at 10 years ago. Like, they've continued to, like, everything that's happened in the last 10 years, they've updated the book to correspond with everything that's happened already in the game world. Which was Very nice. cool. Yeah. Slick. So, yep, good book. Definitely worth the read. Noel, what you got? Well, I have been perusing YouTube for some fun videos, uh, and in one of my random searches, I found a little fan-made video called SCP First Contact. Oh my god, I know that one! I just did too! Awesome! I love it! Well... Listen to the show, I remember back a couple months ago when we did our Step Out Palooza, one of the themes was SCP, a kind of horror genre theme that's uh, kind of got a cold kind of, you know, secret government program kind of thing into it. Yeah. Well, SCP First Contact combines machinima in, I think, Grand Theft Auto V to create this horror film where they're showing the beginning of an SCP investigation. And it's such a good atmospheric piece in terms of using lights and visibility and sounds and, and all that in terms of building up tension and tension and tension without ever fully revealing, you know, the you know the, the antagonist 
until just near the end. Oh wow! And, yeah, yeah, it's such brilliant. a fun. It's, it's it's relatively short. I think it's like maybe twenty minutes long, but oh, okay. it's a lot of fun. You know, it's worth checking out. It's it's a good. You know, it doesn't really do jump scares at you, which I was very pleased because where was going to do that. But it's just the building of the tension is so wonderfully atmospheric. Plus, I have a soft heart for machinima. It's, I love when you can take an environment for one thing and completely morph it into a, this other creative art. Yeah. Heck yes. That's cool. I will have to check that out. Mm-hmm. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, you do. I mean, along with all of my other things that I'm behind on, like we talked about before the show started. Yes. At some point, you will catch up or you will die, and then we will summon you back and get you to catch up. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Side of a Roku. Oh, God. We're terrible. Yeah. All right. Go to Moshe. What you got? Well, I'm, speaking of being behind, a little behind, but I want to recommend Marvel's Runaways. Uh, it's based on a now cult classic comic book that came out about 15 years ago. And it, yeah. <laughs> And it's got about two seasons that are now on Hulu. Didn't have Hulu. But you see, after watching one Fire Festival documentary and wanting to watch the other one with my lovely wife, she said, ooh, ooh. We're going to get a free, about say, a free month to Hulu just to watch the Fire Festival documentary and to watch both of them. So, with that currently ongoing, I'm catching up on Runaways, and it's some great characters, great teen setting, and really interesting take on how kind of superpowers would function in a particular world. What? Oh, they made a series out of this? I thought you were yeah. talking about the comic. No, no, oh, no. Know, there's that's... a there's a TV series. It's really good. Two How seasons. Did I not know this. First season was primarily an online uh, streaming one uh, through a website, I think, primarily. And now the second season is a Hulu original, so both seasons are on Hulu. Oh, I didn't know about that. I, I have all yeah. the comics. FYI, guys, it's Joss Whedon stuff. The comics are Joss Whedon stuff, and if they're anyway partially decent adaptation, you're going to love it. Uh, I don't. I think it is more the um, Brian Vaughn stuff, not, let's say, before we get to some of the later stuff that Whedon did, the original Brian K. Vaughn uh, pride components. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's the original stuff. But, so. yes, Whedon did do some as well, and so you, it's got, again, fantastic characters, really well done. I'm really enjoying the first season's atmosphere and kind of how they set everything up. Cool. I didn't even know that existed. Oh my god. I feel terrible. Now you do, and now you can catch up. Yeah. I'm already doing so... uh... (laughs) I don't want to hear about it. I'm watching something that's 20 years old. Point. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If you're only like two years behind, I don't want to hear it. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. All right, my recommendation. All right. One thing, uh, I think that we all kind of forget um, is it's like like the fairy tales from when we were young and – to be honest, there's so many interesting themes that you can actually go through. So I recommend you go to the library 
and you pick up a, uh, a book of fables, a book of kind of like Grimm's fairy tales, but don't just go to the Brothers Grimm standard. It's They're good and they're helpful, but see if you can get some fables and folk tales and stuff like that from different cultures. Pick up the story of Baba Yaga. You know, because one, you'll get some really nice ideas sometimes for supernatural-esque antagonists or, um, oh, what do you call it? Um, or you might be able to figure out, like, sometimes it's not the antagonist, like like a monster kind of thing, but you might figure out, like, a creepy situation mm-hmm. or kind of a town. Because there's nothing wrong with borrowing from folklore. I mean, those things lasted because they're they're so memorable. Well, and and the thing with fairy tales and fables and all of that is there's a message in them. And Mm -hmm. that's why they are so endearing, you know, so enduring. Yep. The thing is, I, I, with with the weather being super duper cold, remember we had like the the temperature of, holy cow, I can't feel my eyeballs. (laughs) It was terrible. But I I ended up with a book of... um, I can't remember what it was, but of Japanese uh, yokai. and f- But it wasn't just, this is the yokai, this is the monster, this is what it does. But it told the stories of, you know, if we if we say the big bad wolf, you know, we're like, okay, what? well, we know what it is. But it's just like, but if you read Little Red Riding Hood, you get a lot more of kind of like the characterization of the big bad wolf. I, I know I'm really simplifying it. But I picked up one, uh, it had... Uh, folk tales from India, folk tales from Russia, folk tales from Japan, and um, oh god, it was one of the country, I, 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 one of South American ones. I can't remember which one. I want to say, I want to say Argentina, hmm. but just because it's like, oh, those look interesting. So when it was really cold, I just cracked open. I was reading. It's like, and especially if it's from a culture you don't know, you will get so much insight. You know, yeah. you're like. Ooh, so I I really I really ended up enjoying myself, and it was just like because then you get to see, okay, where some of the like, it's like wow, there's an overlap between this kind of characterization in English fairy tales and and Japanese. Well, wonder where that came from. Da da da, you know, because mm-hmm. sometimes you need to just go back to the classics and, and to come up with just you know something a little bit timeless. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I'm not perfect at this stuff, but it was fun. I <laughs> I just wish I could remember which books I just returned in the library. <laughs> it's okay. If you yeah, you can find them. They're super easy. All you have to do. And if you can't, go ask a librarian. Yeah, go to, and that's the other part of the recommendation. Go to your local library. You know, support them by checking out the books. They have the cheap book sales when they're cycling stuff out. Sometimes you can pick up some good stuff. Um, I picked up, I picked up uh, a wonderful book of uh, myths and legends as it deals to astronomy. So you have like a lot of the Aztec stuff, uh, Greek gods that have like constellations in their stories, Germanic ones. You know. Oh my god! I oh want yeah. That book. <laughs> um, I'll bring I'll bring it to Origins and let you read it. It's brilliant. But the thing is also, the librarians also, you can tell them and, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I want it like African, African folk stories or something like that. Yeah. And one, it gives a library business. And two, they might have something as you're checking out one and there's another book next to it. It's like, ooh, that looks interesting. Yeah. 
So find a good book on mythology and go to your libraries. Yes. I concur. <laughs> well, I guess this is going to go ahead and wrap us up. So until next time, folks. See ya. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You can contact us or the show using Twitter, Facebook, or plain old email. Our Twitter accounts are at Zendead, at Jules Podcaster, and at 2050 Gardemanger. And the show's Twitter account is at Seize the GM. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Seize the GM. Or chat with us and other RPG lovers in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Seize the GM. You can email questions or comments to the show at admin at seizethegm.com. And if you have a few bills you want to send us, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Seize the GM podcast. And we thank you. joining us for this episode of Seize the GM. Feel free to leave a comment about this episode on our webpage www.seizethegm.com Let the dice fall where they may and we'll see you all again next week. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted materials referenced herein are held by their respective owners. No infringement intended and no claim of ownership is implied. The music for the show is Dreaming Spirit off the album Ghost Machine by the Enigma TNG. His music is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license.